The World of Dark Ages podcast presents Side Quests, tidbits and inspiration for the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to SideQuest. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, Peter, uh, what uh, what have you been up to lately? Not that uh, it's been that long since I asked you that last time. <laughs> no, so I hadn't haven't really had time to do anything. Uh, I've I, I've been playing with my knives a bit, which is something I'm going to talk about later on in this podcast. Uh, but except for that, it's it's been pretty calm. Nothing really happening. All How right. About you? Well, I had a twelve-hour workday yesterday, so uh, <laughs> so I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I can. Anyway, we're going to be doing a one uh, yet another casual Friday where we just talk about random stuff and see how long we can spend doing that, or possibly not, since we could spend quite a bit of time doing that. Um, but basically, what I what we want to start off with is kind of all the small things that people may not think about when they're running a Dark Ages game, uh, both as it relates to vampires, but also as it relates to describing the setting as a whole and just things to keep in mind. Uh, and an example of that is the preponderance of animals, because it is well established that vampires without animalism have an effect on animals. Um, most animals are going to be skittish, uh, flee from them. Some predators might get aggressive, but basically they respond. And it's really difficult not to be around animals in the Middle Ages if you're in a city, because it's not like today where you have a few people walking their dog and there might be some stray cats. No, you have a lot of animals within the city limits. Yeah, exactly. And and not uh, not only medieval times, up until the in some places early 1900s, you would have uh, you, you would have uh, not not really farming in in the city limits, but you you would like you would have a cow because that's how you would get milk, uh, and or or a goat or or anything like that. And there are examples of of people having low houses with uh, with a kind of not not really not even thatched roofs, but but actually having um, uh, having grass growing on them, so you could keep a, a goat on your roof. Uh, even in in fairly major cities, because that's that's how you feed your goat. Basically, you you, you can't afford buying food for it or feed for it. Uh, no, so and the same thing same thing happened with pigs. Yeah, you, you let pigs roam free in the streets eating garbage, um, and that actually sometimes resulted in people getting injured or even killed if something happens and the pigs went. Uh, not to be too punny, hog wild. Um, no, but seriously, I mean, anyone who's ever seen a fully grown pig will know that's a big, uh, big animal. Yeah, yeah, pigs, pigs are big, and and they aren't. Depending on what time period we talk about now, they, they aren't really necessarily the, the kind of friendly Christmas ham that that we think about today. They they were closer to to wild boars uh, in in temper as well as as general looks so uh, so yeah there's there's a reason why uh, w- why pigs are used to dispose of bodies in some crime novels because they they eat anything and they can be really really mean yeah, and there there is the saying that um, a dog is just one missed meal away from being a wolf that's not true but uh, a, a a pig is just one missed uh, opportunity away from becoming a boar because every time you see pigs that have escaped pig farms into the forest, it takes them like 
a month and then they look like a boar. Uh, and actually, if you if you take um, modern day Denmark and you uh, have an apocalypse, like say a zombie apocalypse or something like that, one thing that would happen would be feral pigs roaming the countryside being about as dangerous as the zombies because mm. this country has more pigs than it has humans. Um, and people also let uh, chickens walk in uh, around in the streets. A lot of people had dogs. Uh, you used animals. Uh, horses for riding you used oxen for draft animals mules um, and, and donkeys and, and animals yeah. like that as well so if you're a vampire sure a lot of these animals are going to be kept inside uh during after sundown but they can sense if you get close and if you're walking around and suddenly every animal close to you is getting skittish and there are going to be a lot of them people are going to respond because Animals being skittish was seen as a sign of, of something evil happening, whether it's uh, a witch or demonic possession or something like that. So it's something worth keeping in mind. And obviously vampires are going to have to find a way around this. Some vampires might just be smart enough to know how to avoid getting too close to too many animals. Others develop animalism, stuff like that. But it's just one thing to remember is there's a lot more animals around and people are a lot more... Um, aware of how the animals act i mean yeah if it if a dog starts barking in the middle i mean you you have dogs if a dog starts barking in the middle of the night we might think okay well you know, maybe there's someone trying to get in maybe it's just it's because dogs sometimes bark but people back then they were very aware of how animals acted yeah and and of course you would probably want to to include some kind of level of suspension of disbelief un unless you want to center your entire game around vampires avoiding city animals but 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 yes yeah, as, as you mentioned there the, the thing about animals being used as, as kind of, of omens uh, is is quite widespread in in folklore and everything like that so so you have stories like like you mentioned that uh, milk uh, milk will go sour if there's a witch around and, and stuff like that so so you, there's an opportunity to use this as a storytelling device and and as I said perhaps not have it have have it happening all the time that that uh, vampires can't really walk down the street because they're gonna be run down by panicking uh, horses or or cows or whatever. But but it's it's a cool way to use it, and I think there's um, a flaw that makes um, plants and flowers wilt when yes, you're around. Yes, a touch of frost, I think it's called. Yeah, something like that. So so you could do, easily do something similar. Uh, with that, but but that it also affects animals, so that um, perhaps uh, uh, chickens lay uh, eggs with with double yolks, which is a sign of the devil being around, or something like that. It's, it's a bad sign, or or perhaps it doesn't have an a yolk at all, and and just just kind of use those kind of things to uh, um, to to set the mood and and build tension. Uh, perhaps if it's it's a sign that. Um, for oh, I, I just got an idea. If if you have a farmer, for example, who has true faith, perhaps mm. that extends into his animals, so that when when someone is around his animals, then they will start doing all of these things with sour milk and stuff oh. like that. And that that could be a sign to to people in general and to the clever uh, inquisitors or witch hunters or whatever that okay, something is going on here, which means that the the vampire characters can't stay around for for too long without exposing themselves. 
Yeah, uh, and also like you mentioned plants, and that's that goes into the whole describing cities where the yeah sometimes you had grass on the roof, but people. Only the very, very richest of people could afford to waste space. So if you had a house in the city, you would use all the space you had. So a lot of houses had a little uh, plot where they grew vegetables. Uh, they they had chickens or ducks uh, somewhere um, where the the youngest children of the of the household were were tasked with keeping them. So when somebody walks around in the city. If if they you know jump a fence into a backyard, they're gonna land in a vegetable plot or or on a dovecot or, or something yeah, like that, or a, or a cesspit or something like that. Oh, yeah, that that that's true. That's true. Yeah, um, and and geese and ducks are uh, they make a lot of noise, so they can be really useful as as guard animals or at least alarm animals. And geese I, can also be used as guard animals because yeah, they yeah, are that's, psychotic. That's uh, and I can't remember if it's. Yeah, it's 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 geese. I think actually, in in uh, there, there's some holy geese in a story about ancient Rome, where um, or might be Greece. Ah, I can't remember. But but uh, the the horrible barbarian invaders are are trying to sneak into. I think it's a city or a temple. I can't remember which. But they're being uh, they're being is exposed by the the geese who. Uh, who finds them and, and just starting making loads of noise? So the attack was uh, was repelled um, thanks to the, the holy geese. Uh, <laughs> obviously, a, a, a gift from one of the gods. Yeah. So this is like just one example of things to keep in mind that you have a lot more animals, you have a lot more plants, and since it's been established that vampires have a problem with animals just keep that in mind because it's it's a good way to uh if, if especially if characters are just brazenly walking about and not really considering that it's a good way of causing a bit of trouble for them obviously you don't want to turn it into a total torches and pitchfork moment but yeah. uh, a clever vampire hunter or might just use that as a way to track them down and and then you have an interesting situation where they have to f- fight off a difficult opponent yeah and and if you uh, run a game that is a bit later on um, or just traveling a lot by sea uh, on, on long longer travels uh, on on sea by ship you would of course bring uh, live animals to to use as food for the or we humans did that which means that um, not only again with the with the space and not being able to waste space if if you have a, a merchant ship going from from africa to uh to europe or or uh, one of the east india ships going from from england or europe to to china and back you you would bring live animals and you would need to keep them under the deck you would usually keep smaller animals up on deck but but you can't really have a cow running around uh, <laughs> up on deck because that would <laughs> cause mayhem um and and not only do we do we get the wonderful sensation of, of basically having a, a pigsty or or a, a, or, or, or a lot of cows under deck, so, so you can probably imagine the kind of stench that <laughs> that w- would be below deck. Uh, there's a reason why the captains had their cabin at the end of the ship or in, in the the what is it bow uh, stern stern yeah thanks uh, where you could have where you could have open windows to, to get some fresh air in but but again if if you have if you're a vampire passenger and you have to share space with 
crossing the Atlantic, for example, and, and you have to share a ship with, uh, with a bunch of, of animals, how do you make sure that they don't uh, cause enough alarm to, to alert the, the, the crew or the other passengers that, that there is something wrong? Yeah. Um, another thing that, that we've mentioned it before, but I think it really bears repeating is the whole thing about light after sundown, because what people used was fire and fire in addition to not being that bright, it produces a lot of smoke. So if you're inside after sundown, one of the things that you need to remember is places are going to be very, very smoky. And uh, even in 1242, chimneys aren't really a thing. If, if the smoke had to escape, it had to be through a hole in the ceiling. And um, I remember watching a program on Danish television um, about experimental archaeology and, and living history villages, where there was a guy who talked about the smoke hole in one of the huts, uh, and he said that they'd measured it, and if anybody had been sitting in that smoke hole, it would have been worse than taking deep breaths in the center of Copenhagen during rush hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of, of uh, stuff you don't want to breathe in if you sit too close to the fire. Um, and, and of course, well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to say that there were some good light sources, but they were really expensive. Like traditionally, if you, if, if you look at a medieval movie or, or a fantasy movie, you have these great big, usually beeswax candles and, and they mm. were around, of course, but they were really expensive. Uh, so what most ordinary people would use would probably be some kind of either an oil lamp or uh, candles made from tallow. And tallow is basically rendered uh, animal fat. Uh, and so not only does those kind of, of light sources produce a bit of smoke, but you also, again, with the smells, so you would you, your house <laughs> would basically smell like a barbecue all of the time, or at least as, as burning fat, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's it's something you, you don't really think about that often. Um, and, and another thing about just just fire and lightning is that it's so much easier just just making fire, starting a fire nowadays than oh, yes. it was back then. And and I've tried uh, I, I've tried starting fires in different uh, occasions and and like training exercises and reenactment and stuff like that. I've I've done it with with a flint and steel and and using some kind of tinder. I've used it. I've I've actually tried once with just the the uh, rubbing sticks together thing. Uh, <laughs> I I could get some some glowing embers or at least that it started to smoke, but but that's tiring. It's incredibly hard to do. Uh, so so matches and and modern lighters is is a godsend when it comes to that. Uh, so so it was it is a lot harder than. Uh, people think it is because usually in, in movies you just see someone taking a piece of flint and and perhaps their knife or, or just any random piece of metal and they strike it and they get sparks and they start a fire in just a few seconds that's not how it works uh, and no your your wife probably knows about this because um, since she knows about geology and, and a bit of metallurgy uh, not all metals produce sparks not even all steels produce sparks in in the in the amount that you really want to you can always get sparks by by hitting things hard enough against each other but but to get the the kind of proper 
sparks. Um, I, I have an acquaintance who or a friend who uh, got really disappointed because they, they bought a, a fire uh, striker, a steel striker, yeah. uh, that turned out was made from uh, from steel that was completely worthless for it. He couldn't, <laughs> no matter what he hit and how hard he hit it, he couldn't produce any kind of, uh, of sparks with it. So yeah. so that's that's a difficult thing to do. And what, what was probably kind of common was that uh, at least in the household, you would either make sure that uh, that your your fire didn't go out, that you would at least have some embers that you could uh, that that you could just light later on, or there there was probably your neighbor, at least if if you lived in a city, there was always someone close by who might have some embers. So you would bring probably not a candle, but but perhaps some. Um, uh, some some kindling or something, and and you make a bundle of it, and and you would go over to the neighbor and basically ask if you could borrow some fire, uh, because you you don't want to be sitting sitting there trying to to strike a spark and and catch it on something because it's it, it's it's a skill. There are people who can do it really easily and really well, but know that those people are really good at what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot of bonfires at work for the kids, and I have this fire lighting set, which is um, basically a rod of some kind of metal, probably steel, and then a relatively thin, um, sort of a thin slab-like thing, uh, and both of them have a tiny plastic handle, so when I rub those together, I get sparks. But I don't use things like moss or bark or anything. I yeah. use uh, cotton wool, uh, like the kind you'd use to, uh, um, I don't know, like... Uh, like cotton swabs or something? Yeah, cotton swabs, yeah. That, that sort of stuff. And then I, um, I put a little bit of Vaseline on them. Mm, yeah. Because Vaseline is made of petroleum, yeah. and that stuff lights very easily. And then it's all about knowing how to build a fire. And actually knowing how to build a fire, it's not hard, but it is a skill. It's not just yeah. piling wood on top of wood. You have to uh, you have to know what you're doing to get a good fire going, and that's another thing that people probably don't think about is um, if you have someone who's uh, who spent their entire life living in a city uh, and who is a man and thus haven't ever had to set up a cooking fire, they don't necessarily know how to start a fire. Um, so th- once again, it's all the small things. Yeah, yeah, it is, and and, and again, going back a bit to the. Um to the using fire as a light source yeah there are some uh, oil lamps and lanterns and stuff like that which are really really good if you're like sitting somewhere and using it as a stable light source but if if you want to run around with it you basically have a container of oil that you really don't want to spill because even if you don't necessarily set yourself on fire you you've just spilled your entire light source and and then you're going to have to start over trying to uh, pour new oil into it and 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 again just lighting it on setting it on fire to, to actually get the, the yeah. lights going and oil isn't cheap uh, as well so yeah yeah exactly so, it's it's a resource and and it's a, it's a consumable that that you have to pay for so and and again this is why we have things like daylight saving hours and and stuff like that it, it's because people made sure to use the free light that they got from the sun. So you you would be up at the break of day and you would work for as long as you could and 
and then when when sunset uh, you wouldn't well you you would probably still like do things but you wouldn't you wouldn't do things that would require light unless you really had to or unless you could afford it yeah and i'm some people might think okay well if you have a candle, be it beeswax or tallow, did you then light it by sticking it into the flame? And in most cases, no. What you would have would be a block of resinous wood, and then you would take your knife, and then you would cut a thin sliver mm. of that wood, and then you'd light that on fire and transfer the flame, um, which is yet another reason why everybody carried a small knife, because it yeah. was just so important to have that as a tool, both for for eating, but also just for whenever you needed to cut something, which you needed a lot more often than you do in, in modern times. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> then. Uh, but, but yeah, knives really are the, the perfect multi-tool. And, and you can see why it's, it's one of the oldest tools ever invented that is still around in, in everyday use today. Um, and and, and as you said, uh, as you mentioned, there's a reason why people would carry one around because you would you would use it for for pretty much anything. Uh, but what what I wanted to talk about specifically is um, is is a bit the difference between knives as tools and knives or daggers as weapons because I uh, I recently bought uh, a dagger uh, and usually I've. Uh, Previously, I've, I've owned mostly single-edged blades, but this is uh, a very chunky uh, uh, kind of German-style dagger that, that has a really nice double-edged blade. And and when playing around with it, or not playing because you shouldn't play with knives because that can, but, but handling it and, and using it, it it really strikes you. And it, it might sound kind of obvious, but but like a, a double-edged blade really isn't a tool that you can use um, in the same way that you can use a knife. There are, there are so many things that you can't do with it. So, so th- there's, you, you often see in, uh, in fantasy movies and stuff like that, that or, or uh, equipment lists for, for uh, role-playing games and stuff like that, that uh, there's a dagger included. But there really should, or a dagger is nice, a nice thing to have, but you would probably also want to include some kind of knife, um, because the, it's like you you can use a knife as a weapon, but you probably can't use a dagger as a tool because there there are so many occasions where you would want to grab the blade or where, when you would want to press the the unsharpened side of it to to get extra leverage um, or just extra power on it, and you can't really do that with with a, a dagger in the same way. Uh, so, and and there's that's that's kind of the reason why uh, modern militaries, who is probably one of the uh, like occupations that uses knives the most often, except maybe chefs and surgeons, I don't know, but that you get issued a fighting knife, which is a, a knife that can be used both both as a weapon as a tool, and I don't think there is any military unit except perhaps the royal marine commando who still issues fighting daggers mm, yeah because you you really can't use those because those are those are specialized weapons that are only meant to be used to poke lethal holes into people you dislike whereas uh, uh, if if you try to use that as you would use your your uh, fighting knife to 
for example, open a, a canned goods or, or cutting stuff like that, you would you would damage the, the point and the edge really quickly. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be all for for people uh, of all, uh, all all social classes in the medieval times having knives beside their daggers because even rich people wanted a cool uh, knife because you you can't really cut your cheese with your rondel dagger uh, or or your basilard or anything like that so so you would need a knife as well um, and 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 of course you can see it um, with kind of like it's it's a social thing where you can see that there are rondel daggers uh, and and bollock daggers especially that uh, only have a single edge so that they could kind of be used as uh, as a tool as well if you really had to but the the blades that are, are really just weapons they you you can really tell because they they're, they're often quite obvious that you, you can't use this to, to cut sausages or or carve something or or uh, cut string or whatever with it because that's yeah you, you don't want to do that you you have better tools for that yeah exactly and the whole thing is that people back then they were they were practical um and a, a dagger might be cool and everything but if you don't really need it then also you you don't you don't run around with it uh, and people didn't go around inside the city armed you had your knife which we've established can be used as a weapon but for example the knife that i have a re reproduction of a, a 13th uh, 12th 13th century um utility slash eating knife mm. uh i'd be hard pressed to really use that as a weapon because if i were to stab someone with it then i would be really afraid of my own hand slipping up on the blade yeah. because it doesn't have a guard and as for cutting people with it yeah i can break the skin but that's about it so is it better than me just punching them maybe but it's not really a weapon and cities were supposed to be safe sure the biggest cities if you went down to the dock sides um after sundown then you were kind of asking for it but most of the time you would expect cities to be um, to be safe and people walking around with weapons in the city came in basically three categories one were uh, those cities that had a city watch they would obviously be armed in in order to handle problems yeah. and then you would have um uh, some people who felt that they needed it for their own safety so you may might have uh the occasional rich merchant or rich merchant's guard or nobleman who who carried a weapon because they felt that someone might try to attack me but the biggest thing and the one you hear most about especially as you move into the middle of the 13th century are these young um not nobles but wealthy uh, young men who were the sons of um, merchants and very rich guildmasters who walked around usually with daggers because daggers were uh, sometimes as expensive as a sword because swords were starting to get mass produced at this time whereas daggers became much of uh, a status symbol that had a lot of uh, engraving and gilding and stuff done to it mm. so they'd swagger around with their daggers very openly showing their daggers going look we are wealthy and we are privileged. Nobody is going to come up to us and say, guys, maybe, you know, put the daggers away and we can afford these daggers. Yeah. Um, 
and especially in in London, there was a problem because uh, in London the Hanseatic League had their headquarters called the Steel Yard, and there was actually a complaint letter written from the city of London to the Hanseatic League saying, "Look, all of those young guys um, from uh, from the Steel Yard, you know the the." Uh, children of of the elderly um, merchants there they're all going around causing trouble and showing off their daggers could you please get them to stop yeah yeah exactly yeah so in in a way it's it's kind of similar to how how the wild west is is portrayed and how it actually was because in uh, in in movies it's often that that every single person is running around with a with a single action army revolver or something similar but in in a lot of of cities, you you had city ordinances that you, that said that you had had to hand in your guns when you came into town, just to avoid all of the, or basically just to avoid violence. And you have a similar thing in uh, in, for example, London with with people with daggers and stuff like that. Uh, that that yeah, you 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 don't want a bunch of young people with uh, with weapons running around because that's gonna end up bad sooner or later. Um, and and it's interesting interesting just what you mentioned that uh, that they would display them again. I, I think we might have mentioned it, but uh, the the bollock dagger is named so because it kind of looks like uh, a, a, well, it does look like a, a phallic symbol with including two bollocks um, and. Uh, often they would be carried, at least in the 14th century, they, they would be carried um, quite prominently in, in the front, basically on your groin area. And there was a style of, of belt pouch uh, that basically looks like a ball sack. So you, mm-hmm. would, you would put your, your knife sheet or your dagger sheet through uh, the... Uh, th- through the uh, a hole in in your uh, belt pouch, and then you would have this massive uh, member basically uh, hanging out or, or showing off. Um, so so yeah, it's people like showing off stuff, and and like you mentioned like, that daggers could be really expensive, and it's a it's a really nice way to uh, to show off your wealth as well. Like if if you're just someone, if you're just a uh, a militia man, for example, then you would probably just buy something that that could look like it's been around for for uh, hundreds of years because some styles of daggers stick around for quite some time and some lots of styles of knives as well. Or you could buy one of those fancy new daggers and and have it gilded and and um, perhaps even engraved and and you would uh, have different materials in uh, in the handle instead of just. Uh, boring old wood, you would get some fancy wood or maybe horn, and you would have um, brass inlays or, or a brass pommel instead of just a wooden one uh, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, there's if, if you start looking at, at different types of blades, you can really see which ones that are, and I'm actually literally doing it right now, I'm looking at part of my knife collection, that you can really see which ones are supposed to be weapons and which ones are supposed to be tools. Uh, because the 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 tools are quite often uh, much more utilitarian. Like you you could do stuff with them, uh, and and the weapon ones are like yeah they they're supposed to make evil hoes into people you don't like. Uh, yeah. they they're probably really good at them. Uh, at some point, probably during the 
if if I do a barbecue this summer, I'm I'm hopeful I'm gonna do some test stabbing into chunks of meat. Uh, but but yeah, it's uh, there's there's a difference between a dagger and a knife, and it's quite obvious what that difference is. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, you you can make a knife into a weapon. Uh, that yeah, was seen yeah. during the the Viking Age, where you had mm. uh, the the Saxons mm. that were basically big knives turning into weapons, and then later again, you had the whole family of uh, Messers, which Messers yeah. German for knife, which became a very popular civil defense weapon. Uh, but yeah, daggers they were they were starting to make a, a comeback in the period that Dark Ages is set in, because armor was becoming more prevalent, and in general. I mean, when you get to 1242, which is when the latest uh, book is set, um, it's important to know that you had transcended from the whole um, time when when uh, both swords and uh, armor were the things that the very wealthy had, because you'd started mass production. We're not talking uh, conveyor belts, uh, mass production. We're not talking about moving lines or th- stuff like that, but you had centers of production. Um, if you look at swords, then you obviously had Toledo is, is a famous one. Damascus is another. You had Bologna, you had Soling in yeah. Germany. And these were places where uh, you mentioned last time uh, we did um, a podcast, you mentioned munitions-grade weapons, and you had people just knocking out these basic sword uh, blades. You had a sword blade made in the current style, you had a tang on it, and then all of these got packed into barrels with uh, oil and probably uh, wool or other kinds of fabric in order to not have them bang against each other, and then they were shipped off to wherever. So you might be in, in Copenhagen and you might be thinking, yeah, I'm going to equip my retinue with swords. So you sent a letter to Soling and saying, I would like to buy a barrel of swords. You got a barrel of sword blades, they weren't sharpened, they didn't have uh, guards on them, they didn't have handles on them, and then you turned them over to your local smith, who then put all of that stuff on it, put an edge on it, and it wouldn't be that expensive, really. So swords became widespread, uh, and armor became widespread. In, in 1197, when the first Dark Ages game is set, you would expect uh, on the battlefield to see uh, a lot of people wearing no to to very very little armor maybe wearing a helmet or stuff like that when as in 1242 you could assume that most people on the battlefield would be wearing at the bare minimum some kind of fabric armor uh, because it was just becoming so so normal and prices were dropping because you'd started both mass production but also a huge trade network it was really starting to spring up yeah exactly and and at the same time this is around the time period where you start to see at least in countries like sweden where where you start to see local laws uh, where it sets what kind of weapons and armor all drone and freemen uh, are supposed to to wear or, or at least own because they're they're assumed that at some point they w- they will be called into military service, uh, and and again just just because you have weapons just because you have a sword or have a chainmail doesn't mean that you go around with it every day. We mentioned merchants they or, or travelers in general, like if if you're going to another city, yeah, you you would probably pack your sword if you had one because you never know if you're gonna get attacked and just showing that you have a sword is a great deterrent from yeah from highwaymen thinking that yeah perhaps it's it's not worth it but 
as soon as you come into the city, yeah, you, you might get away with it walking down the street, going to where you're staying. But if, if you walk around carrying a sword all the time, uh, especially in the daytime, which isn't a problem for vampires, but mm-hmm. uh, if, if you go around during the day when you're not supposed to, to need any kind of defensive weapons, really, then, then people are, are going to start giving you strange looks. Um, so, yeah. so, yeah, go ahead. And as a vampire, I mean, once again, pulling back to that, you really don't want to attract undue attention. So it's important to realize what are uh, the norms. If you are in a frontier city, if you're in one of the cities in the kingdom of Jerusalem with Muslim armies not that far away, then you can get away with walking around armed after sundown. Um, because if anybody asks you, you're just going to say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm ready in case they attack. Yeah. But if you're in, say, Flanders or North Germany, then it's going to be weird. People are going to give you looks. People are going to assume that if you're carrying a weapon, it must be because you are wanting to use it. Um, yeah, unless exactly. you can somehow look at someone who needs to, to carry it. Yeah. Yeah, so again, we're, we're kind of back to the whole gunslinger in the Wild West thing that, that you, you don't really need to carry a gun unless you want to use it. But, but yeah, it's, it's exactly as you say, and, and, and we can use this for, as a storytelling device to show, show the difference that if, if people uh, arrive at the frontier town, and, and you do have frontiers uh, in one way or the other, uh, you you have crusades in the Baltics. You have the Tsimich uh, being uh, attacked by uh, by the Ventru and the uh, Teutonic Order and stuff like that. So so if you have uh, or or for example the the border between England and Scotland, uh, there's uh, there, there's a thing called border reavers, which basically just means border bandits is a bit of a, a stretch, but basically uh, people from it could be both English and Scottish, and and it was, uh, you you would go across the border to raid your neighbors, and since they were Scottish or English, no one really cared about them because they were on on the other side, and and <laughs> the English and the Scots have have uh, disliked it, each other for quite some time. Um, so so up there it might make sense, like if if you go to to northern parts of England or the southern parts of Scotland, yeah, then it probably makes sense that you're not only carrying a dagger but perhaps something more than that but if you go into york for example then it's probably not going to fly as much yeah um and speaking of crusades and people fighting in the baltic and all of that mm. um i think an, an important thing to think about also is the portrayal of religion because there is this idea of uh, certainly in catholic europe of the Catholic Church being this monolithic entity and everybody just being um, sort of in this one particular way of thinking when it comes to Christianity. But um, while that is probably true if you're out in villages and small towns, there is ample evidence of a very vibrant philosophical culture. People may have been Christian uh, and 100% you know, convinced of the truth of Christianity and the Bible, but the discussions that were being had concerning all of these things was immense. And you have 
highly respected theologians and scholars getting into some very interesting debates and not being burned at the stakes or declared heretics because the church actively encouraged a level of debate and discussion. When you started started, denying core concepts of Christianity, Mm. that's when you got into trouble. But... For example, a, a perfect, uh, a really, really good example it's, uh, from around this time is a scholar by the name of Peter Abelard, who uh, at one point, in order to sort of show how uh, great Christianity was, he gathered together a ton of material on how um, both church fathers uh, and prominent theologians had said self-contradictory things and things that contradicted each other and also picked out contradictions in the Bible and then started to explain how these weren't contradictions at all. But what he started out with was basically saying, look at all of these things that go against each other, where people who are supposed to have been speaking the truth about Christianity were saying stuff that, that went dead against each other, which I think is actually kind of interesting that he yeah. that he gathered all this together. Yeah. He then later got in trouble for other things, but this this one thing... You know that was very, uh, very yeah uh, accepted. Yeah, I, I think the key, uh, the key to his success though is is that he actually did it to, uh, to in a way strengthen the church or or the people's belief in it. So that, because if if he would have done it just to criticize the church, he probably would have ended up in trouble a lot sooner than he actually yeah. did. And and this is also you you kind of see that you can get away with quite a bit. If if you do it for the kind of the right purpose, uh, and and there are examples of people being declared heretics, but then they kind of recant or resent and and apologize, and uh, then everything is fine because the the church or nor the Inquisition they they don't want to burn you at the stake. They they'll do it if they have to, but you can't pay tithes if you if they burn you at the stake so um so, so you have that aspect of, of everything as well and you you can't be reconciled with the church either um if if you uh, if you're burned at the stake and that's another thing i mean sure this is the world of darkness so it's probably going to be a bit darker but the inquisition wasn't trying to burn as many people as possible they weren't trying to mm. torture as many heretics as they could the church was was in many cases, a lot more interested in reconciling heretics with the church because they truly believed that they needed to save people's souls. And yes, a heretic that is burned, if he recants, might go to heaven. But it's much better if that heretic is shown the error of his or her ways, and then they can go on to persuade other heretics yeah. that what they have done. And, I mean, in, in a situation like that, a philosophical, theological, scholarly vampire would have ample opportunity to not only uh, try to affect church doctrine, if that's what they want, but just indulge their... Um, indulge their uh, desires to get into a theological discussion, to get into a discussion that stimulates your uh, your intellect, because you did have scholarship then, you had a lot of um, universities being established, and people were curious. They, they weren't dumb, they weren't simple, they weren't uh, stuck in their ways, uh, ultra-conservatives. People were actively examining the world around them, they just didn't have all of the foreknowledge that we have. We have a direct line back to them. The reason we know what we know today, the reason we can do what we do today is because people back then and even before them 
started asking questions and doing research. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and what what I find quite interesting is that people kind of learn, and, and this goes for for a lot of things, but especially like science and technology and stuff like that. That you you can see the things that that work and and they usually stick with those things uh like i mentioned that that knives is one of the oldest tools that that is uh, is still around because it's it's quite useful and and the reason why knife blades are or at least some models of them look the same and, and that they have done for thousands of years isn't because people and and even back in medieval times like certain knives would would uh, and other tools would look the same for hundreds of years wasn't because no one had figured out or, or that people weren't smart enough to figure out how to make a different uh, a different shape of, of hammer or knife or whatever it's because like this thing works well enough we've we've tried it and we worked it and and we can redesign it a bit to to have perhaps a different purpose or work a bit better but but we we're using it not because it's the only thing we have but because it works and and the same way goes for um for philosophy and and religion and stuff like that that one of the reasons that we we do have these ideas and these uh, ideas and ideals is that well they kind of work for our society like we we do have this society where where the peasants work for their their um leech lords and the leech lords work for the kings and everyone pays to the church and so on and so on because it works it it might not be the best system and and people are always trying to um fight about getting getting on top of the system but if if feudalism wouldn't have worked or if uh, and i'm I, okay it it's a bad idea i'm not going to i'm not going to defend feudalism as a system uh, because it's it's inherently a system that is dependent on oppression but it worked well enough for quite some time that you still managed to build a society that upheld it for quite some time and the same thing goes with the church that the church especially the catholic church is guilty of some horrendous atrocities throughout the centuries but again it worked well enough for people to to still stick around with it so it's it's kind of it's not necessarily a utopia but i don't know it's it's the munition grade society i guess <laughs> yeah it's it's a society it's, it's well enough like yeah yeah it good enough for government work yeah um, <laughs> yeah quite literally in some cases yeah and so that's i mean it's 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 interesting because uh obviously older vampires are going to have to, uh, are going to have um I was about to say lived through, but probably not since they're vampires, uh, been dead through, um, some some changes. And, and they are, will be able to talk about, well, we remember back when, um, you know, you didn't have all of these trade routes. We rem- remember back when merchants had to um, travel themselves and they may not be back. And nowadays, you know, we have a permanent link with, uh, with Novgorod bringing us all the beeswax we need for our candles. You have no idea how hard you had it back then. Yeah, oh, sorry, how hard we had it back days, then. They don't know how well they have it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because society changes. Yes, it doesn't change as fast as it does these days. 
but there are always some people coming up with innovations, things like new ways to uh, to exploit water power. With you have things like trip hammers, yeah. which really change the way that you're able to do forging. You have the uh, at, at this point. Uh, for research purposes, I recently found out that they've just started to um, to get into the whole distilling. Uh, so yeah. it won't be long before we start getting actual liquor rather than just you know strong drink. Um, and and all of these changes coming along, it's it's it shows you that it's a dynamic society. Um, whereas vampires obviously try to maintain their own society as a static society, they don't really want the big changes. You you need the the huge Anarch revolt to see a change in uh, yeah, in vampiric yeah, society. Exactly, yeah. And mortal society does have its its fair share of revolts, but changes also come uh, gradually without there being a revolt. Sometimes people are able to effect a change gradually without any kind of... of um, of resistance, a great example is the growth of the cities, the growth of the guilds, yeah. which slowly drives a change in feudalism. Because if you can just go to the nearest city and get a job as a craftsman, then it it becomes a bit of a problem. And since I mean the the serfs weren't generally allowed to leave their lands, but if you stayed for a year and a day in a city, you were free. And that meant that nobles, they kind of had to um, to react to that. But yeah, it, these these changes happen in mortal society. And it's it's also interesting to, perhaps from a vamp- vampiric point of uh, view, just how a vampire is going to react to that. Yeah, uh, uh, b- because uh, as you mentioned, things things some things happen really quickly and, and some other things take or, or did take hundreds of years. Uh, I, I just, I just wanted to go back to the to the alcohol that you mentioned because <laughs> that's that's another thing that is quite common in, uh, in in medieval and fantasy movies is that someone grabs a bottle of something that is supposed to be liquor and they they pour it on on something and and they just set it on fire. You you really couldn't do this because you need what is it like uh, an an ABV of of at least forty percent to to make it flammable. And you really need to distill alcohol to get up to that volume. You you can't just just by fermentation. You you really can't get above. I think the absolute maximum by fermentation is something like twenty percent, which isn't near near enough to use it as a flammable liquid. So so that's another thing. If if you want to think about that in in your games, uh, because. From from one perspective, like if you all of a sudden have uh, the the technology of, of distillation, where you can distill a liquid that is quite easily uh, transportable because you just need any kind of container, but pouring it on something and setting it on fire, like you you literally have portable fire, uh, depending on how you carry it. I. I shouldn't really misuse the word literally in that way but <laughs> from from a vampiric point of view like if if mortals start being able to to carry around uh, portable fire because alcohol especially a higher volume or a, a alcohol proof. of a higher percentage yeah higher proof thanks uh, that's usually a lot easier to set fire to than than for example olive oil that was quite commonly used in uh, uh, for lamps for example mm. so so that's that's actually something you could use as a weapon 
uh, against vampires, or at least as a threat against them. Yeah. So, do you have any last things you want to uh, to mention uh, in in this whole small things to be aware of? No, not re- not really. I again, I, I it might be my heritage and stuff like that, but I I like knives. Make sure that <laughs> that people that are supposed to be able to take care of themselves and survive in the wilderness and stuff like that, uh, and and soldiers and and people like that, they they can't just have a dagger and a sword and stuff like that. They they need a knife as well. Oh yeah, and one one last thing with regards to daggers, because yeah, I, I have a nice rondel dagger as well. Uh, it's quite common to see, especially in um, in fantasy games, uh, that uh, daggers have a throwing range. Um, yeah. I would be very amazed if anyone can consistently hit anything with the point of my rondel dagger if they use it as a throwing weapon. Yeah, rondel daggers aren't really that. I'm. I'm looking at the one I am having in my hand and yeah, you could throw it at someone and it's probably going to hurt them. But like, I, I just threw away my really expensive and really cool dagger. Why would I use, why would I do that? Yeah. So, um, and, and now the other guy has a dagger. If I don't kill him, he has my <laughs> dagger for fuck's sake. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, this has been, uh, for us a rather short episode. I've been looking at the length of our episodes and we do go on some, uh, but f- so far we have heard no, uh, complaints about it. Uh, so, so people, if you think that our episodes are too long, let us know if you think they're just the right, uh, length, uh, let us know as well because it'll make us happy. If you think they're not long enough, what the hell's wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but Peter, do you have do you have any last comments about anything before we sign off? No. Well, if if you have any smaller, because we don't need to do these uh, long episodes. If there's just a small thing that you would want us to talk about, just for for maybe just fifteen or twenty minutes, let us know, and we'll see if we can do something about it. Yeah, uh, we're always open for suggestions both on Facebook. Uh, If you haven't uh, liked our Facebook group already, then uh, come join us. Um, And obviously, if you uh, make any suggestions on Patreon, we're going to to react to that because we are quite happy that we have uh, patrons. Um, So uh, if you want to support us, uh, then come join our Patreon. The money will be going to getting Peter a microphone. Um, as soon as we get enough. But next week, we will be looking at Wind from the East. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell, and see you next time. Bye.